0: Okay, the scripture reading this morning is on page 976, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, This is the word of the Lord.
1: My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. I was just prayed for and I'm really appreciative of. Uh, I just want to say, too, uh, members suggested that. Maybe it was even the webs. I don't know who it was. I I just say that because it's like, you're like, are you organizing prayer for yourself? No, I wasn't. Uh, I was really uh, honored and really um, appreciative of that. So thank you for joining them in in praying for us. Um, Let me pray, and then let's dive into this text together. Father God, Lord, I ask for you to come and fill us and commune with us now through your personal presence and power, which is your Holy Spirit. Lord, you went away so that the Spirit would come and be with us all eternally. Lord, you said it is to our advantage that you left, which is mind-blowing to consider that there is something that is dwelling in each believer right now that is more powerful than your presence walking side-by-side, mentoring, counseling, teaching us. And that is a true reality of the believers here in this room, of something we are filled by. But Lord, I pray that we would not just be, f- not just be um, a place where you abide, but as you say, Lord, a place where we are filled by your Spirit, and out of that, it is changing and moving and shaping us. Lord, we are in a series where we're desiring to change. We're in a place where we desire to be made into your image, but Lord, ultimately, we can't do that outside of your power. So come in your power. Move now through your scriptures, through the songs, through the liturgies, through um, us communing together as a people. And Lord, let us go from this place um, changed and let us continue to move out of this place, continually changed and continually empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that your spirit be mov- moving and working right now. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I've talked about this before, but the world is in a unique season of being obsessed with superheroes. And it's getting to a crazy point. Like every summer, they are releasing more superhero films, which are topping the box office records of the previous summer superhero films, and I've already put my cards on the table, not a huge fan. I find their plots to be very repetitive. In fact, I imagine most of us do. Here's what's not exciting about these movies, the plot. And what is exciting about these movies is, I don't know, I guess like, if you like things exploding or if you like, you know, just random special effects, that's one thing. But here's what I think is really driving the obsession for superheroes right now. I think there's something about considering being filled up with a power that's there's something that when we talk about, man, if you could just have one superpower, what would it be? Would you want to fly? Would you want to be invisible? Would you want to be able to have super speed, super strength? There's something about our minds that continues to dwell on that because it's like we are remembering a power that we have been made to be filled by but have lost. Like I remember watching Spider-Man as a kid, and like even just like sitting there, uh, you know, Spider-Man has to like form his hands into like you know the sign language symbol to like release the web. And I remember like sitting there just being like, maybe if I could just do it in just the directions, like I was stung by a bee once. Let's see what happens. And because there was a sense of like I just wanted to be filled with a greater power that was within me. And the thing about this collective yearning, it's there within us because I believe the scripture says, hey, we were meant to be filled with the power. There is a power that was made for our souls to possess, to be filled with. And we've been talking about this, and I tell you why I'm telling you this, because we're in this vision series called Practicing the Way of Jesus for the Life of the World. And it's about getting through our spiritual formation priority as a church, Every year, the elders get together, and we pray, and we ask God, hey, what would you have to, for us to focus on particularly in this season as a church? And we identified, hey, we want to be a church that's identif- that is moving forward in spiritual formation, being formed into the image of Jesus. Because there's a lot of us that, man, we are here, and we're present, fill. we have the Spirit present because we believe in Christ. We believe that God has saved us, and he has redeemed us, and that belief has saved us. But then there's a sense of, like, we want that to be then worked into our lives and to move and to sanctify us. And so we've been talking about this series of, hey, what does it look like to be a church who is with Jesus? We're a church that abides with Jesus. And then we become like Jesus and we do what he did. But then uh, we move, move out of just talking about like kind of the what of spiritual formation in the last couple of weeks. And we've been talking about the how. How does this happen? How do we actually be changed into the image of our Savior? Because it, it again, there's something about it that is not just automatic. There is a way that we step into intentionally moving forward to be shaped into God's image. And so uh, last week, Brandon from Midtown was here in one of our sister congregations, and he talked about awakefulness, a sense of being awake and aware to what God is doing in the world and what he's inviting you into. And this week, we want to talk about the power that moves in you from God, the power and the presence. This is the what he does, and then out of what he does, what he invites us to do with what he does. And so, we want to talk about what that power of change is, where it comes from, and how we live in it. And so, uh, this is a power, uh, let's just admit, to be able to change, we need a power that goes beyond just mere willpower. Like, we all have experienced, like, trying to change on willpower alone. In fact, I dove into a little uh, psychology this week, and I learned just, you know, Psychologists will talk about willpower, and they'll talk about it in terms of first volitional desires and second volitional desires. And so if your first volitional desires are essentially your, you know, basic fundamental, like, you know, base desires. So this is the desire for food or sexual desire or to be safe. Like these are just your base fundamental on the ground. And then you have second volitional desires. And these are to go beyond just this is to have virtue, and this is to thrive, and this is to, um, you know, exercise a higher level of existence. And so, for an example, um, I was uh, at a conference this past week, uh, and with all conferences, you spend some time, uh, you know, in the evenings, spending time with each other, uh, you know, who go to the conference together, uh, enjoying just you know fellowship time. And uh, at the end of that time, as I was going back to the Airbnb in which we were staying, um, I knew I was going to pass by several Taco Bell's. And uh, Taco Bell is a good example of something that strikes my first volitional desire. There is just a sense of, I see it particularly late in the evening, and I desire to be filled with processed meat and cheese. And second volitional desire, however, is to not wake up with the feeling of having been filled with processed meat and cheese. And so I, at times, have to exercise my will uh, to create out of my first volitional desire to move towards my second volitional desire. Hey, this is not where we're going to go right now. We're going to step out of the temptation, which is the siren's call of Taco Bell. And we are going to move into uh, a life of, you know, um, living beyond uh, 40. And uh, so either way, uh, this is a, I have to use my will to conquer my first volitional desire. And here's the thing. You can't influence your will directly. You can't just be like in the moment where you like desire something. You can't just be like have more will. You can't just like flex it. You have to uh, influence your will indirectly. And so the ways that you do that are through um, teaching and information. And so you know you can get online and you can read about all the places that the meat of Taco Bell comes from. And you can be like, and you can also read about all the things that you know come from like eating healthy. And you're like, okay, that sounds good, and that doesn't sound good, and we can move towards that. Or you can also uh, move towards practice. You can um, practice healthier eating, and then healthier eating sometimes just like creates a desire to eat healthier. Or then I can also be in community. I can be in a situation where I'm in the car and I say, hey, let's go to Taco Bell, and everyone looks at me and funny, and I'm just like, you're right, never mind, I'm sorry, let's move on. And so a community even influences me to then move in my will in a certain direction. Um, But we all would admit that, that willpower has its limits, and it's... Not only, I mean, th- there's even studies that show that you have more willpower at the beginning of the day than the end. That's why all productivity books, everybody who's going to write on how to get things done, is going to say, hey, do your hardest tasks first thing in the morning. Because as the day goes on, you're going to have less and less willpower to do things that are difficult to do. I mean, that's really what Taco Bell's advertisement campaign is based on. I mean, it's all like, we're open late and we're the fourth meal. It's basically like we're just going to stay open until you cave. And... <laughs> And so there is a sense where willpower is good and necessary, but it's limited in change. And so we need something beyond just that. Because as we talked about earlier in this series, the, what we're being called to Galatians 5 says, hey, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be opposed to the fruit of the flesh, and so you're going to put away sexual immorality and debauchery and and lawlessness. You're going to put away all these things, which a certain amount of that you can put away merely through willpower, willing it. But then it also says, hey, you're going to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things I can't just muster up through willpower. They have to be produced from a power within me. Or a, a couple of weeks ago, we preached on the Good Samaritan, which I've just continued to wrestle with the fact that as God says, as Jesus says, hey, what's the greatest command? And let me tell you a story about someone who was caring for those who he had no reason to care for because they were his enemy. And he gave of himself greatly. And I've been processing through that in my mind and just, it's been kicking the trash out of me because I'm just like, realize as Jesus says, hey, go and do likewise. I am not one who is filled with the love for people that, that Jesus has said, hey, this is what's going to be just marked by my disciples. And I think of the Sermon on the Mount, which we went through last year, and which regularly said, hey, you can... Give up adultery. I mean, you can press, like, just through mere willpower, maybe cut off pornography in one's life or cut off uh, sex outside of marriage in one's life, but to then cut out the effects of lust. That's a whole other story. Or you can, Sermon on the Mount again, you can not murder. You can, like, through willpower, just, you know, hold back the you know, fork at the dinner table from just gouging into someone's neck. But you can also be filled up with bitterness and rage in your heart. And that's a whole different story to move into. It's a really high bar when we talk about being transformed in the image of Jesus. We're not talking about just like 10% nicer or wow, that's a really nice woman. We're talking about the person and presence of Jesus. And so how do we get there? We need something... Beyond just our will, we need something much bigger than just a few adjustments. We need the power to completely transform us. And in John 14, Jesus talks about, hey, uh, for all of those who uh, love me are going to obey my commands, that, that when you come into relationship with me, I'm going to put a desire within you to obey my commands, and it is going to come through a helper that as I go will come to you. And so we get this concept of the Holy Spirit which if we all... Honest with ourselves, we're all a little bit hazy on because the Holy Spirit. There's just as many minds in the room are there are are right now. There are probably different conceptions of what the Holy Spirit is. I mean, there's a sense of like some people come from backgrounds where the Holy Spirit was really talked about a lot, and maybe the Holy Spirit was kind of like you know uh, just a part of each service in the way that like you know people were just going crazy, speaking in tongues, and seeing miracles, and handling snakes, and you know doing jumping jacks for Jesus, and like the whole Holy Spirit was a very present reality. Or maybe you come from a background where the the Holy Spirit was kind of like, you know, um, just the weird person who hung out in the back and we didn't really talk to that much. And so there was a sense of like we have the Trinity, we have the Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and like the Spirit can kind of come in, and, but we don't want too much of him because it just kind of freaks us out. And so I just want to take a moment and just kind of talk about, okay, what is the Holy Spirit? What is this power that God has said is going to come into us? And then I want to get into Ephesians 1 and talk about what then that, that power is going to do in us. Um, and, and that'll be our time. So, so really, just quickly, let's talk about what is the Holy Spirit, and to get a view of who the Holy Spirit is, uh, who is God himself, is a person of the Trinity. Um, we can go to page one of your Bible, and so if you want to flip there, you can. Uh, Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, you get, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So two verses into your scriptures, two verses into the story of God, you get the Spirit's presence. Fairly important uh, persona in, in all of this. And you get the idea that it talks about, hey, there's this dark, void formlessness. And they talk about water. Water in Hebrew culture was just like the picture of chaos. And so like for them, the ocean was just like, you know, a, a picture of like chaos and tumult and everything. So to have water pictured is saying, hey, this is a dark, chaotic, formless, evil place. And there's this spirit of God who's hovering over it. And it's the word ruach in Hebrew. And this word ruach is used several times, and it can mean a couple different things. But they all have to do with some level of power or energy. One way that you see it translated in the scriptures is breath. That there is a breath which is true about who the Spirit of God, God is a person, he, the Spirit of God is a person, and he is talked about as the breath of God. Which is interesting because then the next thing it says in verse 3, it says, hey, God said, let there be light. Which if you know anything about just talking in general, as you talk, breath comes out. It's why you have to constantly be aware of what your breath smells like if you're in close quarters with people. Because like as you just speak, breath is going to be pouring out of your mouth. And so as God speaks, this is, hey, the, the, the ruach of God, the breath, the presence of God is there in this over this uh, darkness, over this depth, and as God speaks, all of a sudden light bursts forth and life and energy and vitality and plants and animals and humanity, and it's all good. That God is creating through this power, which is his presence in the spirit of God. And then in chapter two of Genesis, it, it's talking about the creation of humanity. And in chapter two, Verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. When God animates humanity, he takes dirt, he forms us, and then he breathes upon us his spirit. The spirit of God is what animates all life. I mean, there is a power to just the fact that you can breathe in oxygen. You can't create it, and as you breathe it, like, I mean, if you find someone lifeless lying on the ground, a couple things you do to check their vitals is you either check your pulse, or you put your face near their mouth to see if they're breathing. Because if they have breath, they have life. Where there is no breath, there is no life. Or I've been in um, the room now three times where I have seen a human being come into the world and that first breath that enters into their lungs, that's this idea of the Spirit of God entering into us that all throughout the Hebrew ancient world, they considered the Spirit of God this power that comes and fills and brings life. It's intimate. It's God's presence. And then also, there's a sense of Ruach is defined as wind. And throughout all the scriptures, you get time where... uh, the spirit of God is referred to in wind. In Ezekiel, you get the classic story of Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones in which God asks Ezekiel, his prophet, hey, can anything make these dry bones live, these just skeletons that are out in the desert? Can anything revive them? And Ezekiel says, you know God, which is always a good answer if God asks you a question like, you know. And Ezekiel says, hey, you know God. And then a wind comes upon the valley. And the bones rise up and have flesh put on them and they become a great army because the power, the wind, the spirit of God fills them and brings them new life. Or you get an ax when the disciples are, after Jesus leaves, he says, hey, I'm gonna go away, but I'm gonna give you my spirit. And you wait till that spirit comes. Which is crazy that like how important is the spirit of God in our lives that God says to disciples, I'm gonna go away and don't do anything. I mean, you have just seen that I, was, I died and rose again, and I'm going to spread this throughout the whole world. I mean, Jesus, before he leaves, gives the great commission. Like, you know, go throughout the world, the world and make disciples of all tongues, tribes, and nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have taught you. And, and he gives them that, but then he says, hey, but now wait until the Spirit of God comes. People might die in that time. People are passing away. But regardless, I want you to hold on and wait. Even the Great Commission must wait for the Holy Spirit to come in and be present. And then there's a time where all the disciples are together. They're gathered together. And then it says as they're praying, a mighty wind rushes upon the house uh, that they are in. And then all of a sudden, they're filled with the Spirit. And they're able to communicate the gospel in all these languages. And they walk out into this huge, like, basically, uh, you know, urban you know, or this situation where all these people are all from all over the world and they're all able to speak in their own languages. And so the, all of a sudden the gospel is added in huge numbers and goes throughout all the world in that day. And so you get this idea that the power, the ruach, the wind, the spirit of God is moving. And then you just think about wind in general. I mean, wind is just powerful in itself. I mean, if you drive up I-65 to Chicago, which I did recently, you're going to come upon the only really thing to see between here and there is the wind turbine field. Because we figured out, hey, like if we can just harvest wind, we can actually create energy from this. And then you also know just like, I mean, I come from uh, western Nebraska, which is 150 tornadoes happen in Nebraska a year and a bunch of the, uh, the F5s, which are the big ones, and you hear all these like, tall tales about tornadoes in Nebraska. And just, like, things where like, there's been experiences where blades of straw were driven through walls because of tornadoes, because of a great powerful wind that pushed them through. There is a huge amount of power in wind. And so when it talks about God's spirit, it's talking about his intimate presence and power which comes upon the believer. And then it, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see times where this power, the spirit of God, comes upon people and allows them to do things that they couldn't otherwise do on their own. And so the first time you see it is with Joseph. And Joseph, if you're not familiar, he's the coat of many colors guy. Uh, he's part of the people of God in which he's uh, you know, sold into slavery by his brothers and sent off to Egypt, and he's in prison in Egypt. And then Pharaoh, the most powerful man of the day, has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. And then Joseph comes forward and says, hey, I, I, I don't know how to interpret dreams, but the Spirit of God knows your dream, and he can do it. And so he interprets Pharaoh's dream. He saved the entire known world back then, including the people of God, and the story keeps going on through him. And then uh, chapters later, you get Bezalel, who, again, everyone's favorite Bible character. We all remember our songs about Bezalel growing up. And so uh, Bezalel is a, just a small character, uh, small per, a small man in the Bible who, uh, who is tasked with creating furniture and pots and decorative pieces for the, ta- for the uh, temple of God. But interestingly enough, this person, who's basically just a blue collar worker, is said that he's filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to create these things. That he's able to create beautiful masterpieces that would reflect the glory and the presence of God in his temple. And then you get all throughout the Old Testament, these prophets that are filled with the Spirit and then are able to see history through the eyes of God and speak God's words to his people. And so through all these stories, and then all of a sudden the New Testament, the Spirit of God picks up in a big way in the person of Jesus. That when Jesus starts his public ministry, before he does, he comes and he's baptized. And as he's baptized, as he raises out of the water, it says the Spirit of God descends upon him like a bird. And hovers over him. Similar to the hovering over in in Genesis 1. And then he's filled with the power and presence of God. And from that moment, he goes out and starts pushing out death and demons. And he starts creating order out of disorder. Similar to Genesis 1. And then not only that, but it says in Romans eight eleven that it's the Spirit of God that when Jesus is crucified by the religious leaders and crucified for the sins of the world and he's laying dead and buried in a tomb, it's the Spirit of God who hovers over death and destruction and creates new life. It's the beginning of redemption his Spirit is working at. And so the Spirit is a huge deal. And this power is in the believer, is in the person who believes in Jesus. And this is in Ephesians 1. We can finally get back there. You can flip back there if you want. It's page 976. And you see in Ephesians 1, verse 13. Give be down the end of the passage. It says in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That for all who have in the room have heard the gospel the fact that Jesus is the savior of the world and he has defeated sin and death On our behalf, by living the perfect life that we could not live, and then dying the death that we should have died. He now, for all who are trusting in Him, has saved and freed and made a part of His kingdom. And when you hear that, and you believe that, that I am invited into the family of God based off of the work of Jesus, then I am then filled with the Holy Spirit, and that power and presence is in you. And what all does that mean? You see it all through Ephesians 1. In verse 3, it says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, it's saying that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And spiritual blessing kind of sounds like, hey, I got you a present, but it's invisible. But it's actually the sense of like the this, uh, this spiritual realm as we see throughout the scriptures is actually all things. like It is the air we breathe, that the entire realm. So it's saying that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's saying that he has given you everything. He has given you everything everything through his spirit and through the power of the gospel. And so that you as a believer, if you are believed in Jesus, that you have a spirit within you that has blessed you, it is saying that God is abundantly generous. Eugene Peterson likes to translate this idea that we have been drenched with blessing. We have been drenched with a power that comes from God. And then it says, going from beyond there. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. Now, this idea of predestination and being chosen is really controversial uh, in the whole church world. We have no time to get into that debate right now, Uh, but let me just uh, move into it in this way that yes, there's this sense of like, well, what does it mean that God chooses some people? Does it mean that he doesn't choose all people? And, and you just, we, it goes into all these crazy rabbit trails of like, okay, well, does that mean I'm a robot? That if God chose me and predestined me, then did uh, I have any choice in the matter? Uh, the Bible is gonna present this in a crazy mystery. It's gonna present that, that God has chosen everyone who would come to him before you did anything. Before you were born before you did anything good or anything bad, before you graduated from college or high school or middle school or whatever, however far down the line you made it, before you got your first job, before you were, uh, did anything that made you likable. In fact, in Deuteronomy, God is going to say of the people of God, he's going to say to the Israelites, hey, I chose you, not because you were strong and mighty. In fact, you were the least of all peoples. I chose you, why? Because I chose you. That God chooses us and... Paul never says this to incite debates. Every time he brings it up, you know why he's bringing it up? He's saying it to encourage you. He's saying to remind you, hey, you have been chosen by God. That he thought about you before the world was laid and He before the foundations of the world were set out, he considered you and he chose you. And yeah, what does that mean about all the other things about response? I mean, the Bible, again, is going to present this as a complex reality. Are we chosen by God? Absolutely. Do we have responsibility? Absolutely. Do those things make sense together? Not in my mind, but I'm working on it. And as I continue to wrestle with this fact, Paul's going to say, hey, you have been chosen. God chooses you. I don't know how many times you sat there in the whole kickball game where people, you know, person after person goes and maybe you're the last person and eventually they're just picking like the plant in the corner to just, you know, continue to fill out their team before choosing you. God has chosen you. And it says that we've been adopted. I've been talking with a lot of people who have been doing foster to adopt recently or getting in the process of doing so. And they're talking about taking these these kids who are just in Really chaotic situations, and ones that I mean, there's something about like adoption of a new baby where it's like, um, yeah, of course, you know, people talk about like as a person influenced by their nature, or their nurture, and you know, regardless, when you get into fostering with you know, five, six, seven-year-olds, there's so much more complexities that go into it because you're taking in a child into your home that has gone through most likely, not everyone, but a fairly chaotic situation, and you're bringing them into your home and you're giving them all of the resources of your family. And you're saying, legally, you are mine now. And everything I have, everything I've made, all the money I have, all the resources I have, all my wisdom, all my time, all my energy, I now give to you as my child. And if you see that, you even see some kids reject it, some kids struggle with it, but you see the good and loving father and mother come and continue to pursue these children and say, hey, I love you and you are adopted now and I am going to continue to press in and move and shape you. And that's what our God says of us. He says, hey, because of the Holy Spirit in you, I have adopted you, I've sealed you, and I will continue a good work in you. God is in the business of finishing what he completes. And so if you're here and you're a Christian and you've been going along this for a while and you're like, this is really great. I'm glad that you're talking about all these blessings, Kent. But the fact is, is I don't really feel like I'm being changed right now. I feel like I'm getting my tail whooped by sin right now. I feel like life and anxieties and fears and depression are just waving over me again and again and if this is about being like the victorious life and being filled with the Spirit, then maybe I'm not. And I take you back to Ephesians 1, and it says, hey, for those who have heard the gospel and believed, you are sealed. And sometimes life is really chaotic. Change typically happens. I mean, if you talk to anyone who has really deeply been changed into the image of Jesus, they probably are not going to talk about a time that just they were killing it in every facet of their life. But rather, they're going to take you to a time where life had gone sideways or upside down. And then as they look back on it, they see the presence and the power of God moving in us, saying that, hey, I've started a good work in you, and I'm not giving up on you. And some of you need to hear that because that's where you are. And you need to hear the words of your God say that you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who will do a work in you, and he will finish it. And some of you need to hear that because you're struggling in sin and you have this discouragement that you will never move forward from it. And I say to you, and God says to you, hey, you have the Spirit of God in you. So you can and you will be moved and shaped out of this. And then again, that gets to this whole idea where like, okay, well, if God's just going to do that, then, then what part do we have in this? And last week, Brandon talked about when he was here, I thought helpfully, that all spiritual formation, it is a partnership with God. And it's not like a 50-50, though. It's not like a, hey, you know, I do my part, you do, you know, you start walking your way, I start walk, walking mine. Uh, it, it is a sense where, no, God does all things and his spirit comes and fills us and he does the work. But in a mystery that I have no way of knowing, he then says, and Philippians uh, 2, that Paul's going to say, hey, now in that work, therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's saying, hey, I want you to push forward. I want you to fight with grit to be changed into the image of Jesus. Why? Because God's power is inside of you. You're moving, and you're working, and you're striving, not because you're doing it in your own power, but because God is working in you. It is a confusing reality, but it is the one the Bible is very comfortable with putting out to you. And so the Bible is just going to... God is just going to say, hey, I have now moved in you. I am now shaping you. And so with that, I mean... Honestly, if you think about it, it would be a really weird application of that idea of like, okay, awesome. God has moved all this power in me, and so now I'm just going to sit on my duff and do nothing about it. It's like the idea of like, hey, you have received an inheritance of billions and billions of dollars. Okay, awesome. I'm just going to sit here and not ever access the account. Like if you've received an inheritance, you access the account, when I got my driver's license, I didn't just be like, okay, that was cool. That was awesome. I got in my car and I drove to a place to buy CDs, which was still a thing back when I got my driver's license. And, and I we just got in the car because I had the power. I had the ability. And so then I moved upon it. And so the Holy Spirit coming into our lives is not a sense of like, okay, therefore we do nothing. No, it's an invitation because you have all power. Now step into obedience. Step into obeying the things that we see in in scripture. Step into being shaped into his image. Step into loving other people. Will you do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Will you fall down again? Absolutely yes. And will God continue to move and shape in you because it's his power that works in you? Absolutely. And so we as a people this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're on the side where you just feel disoriented by life right now. Or if you're more on the side where you're just like, man, I'm just continually struggling with these sins. Or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian at all. Glad you're here. This is what we invite you into. You're like, I don't know if I want that. Well, the fact is, is life is hard regardless, but to be filled with the power and the Spirit of God actually makes it to give us empowerment to move through this world, to be held on to. And so as we move to communion, I would just say, you're like, okay, what do we do with all this? I mean, okay, you're saying like, all right, we're filled with the Spirit, now just go forward and act. Yes, but also just a few things of, of what you do moving forward in this. If you're here and you're like, man, how, like, how do I access this information? How do I move forward? Uh, first of all, you continue to ask for the Holy Spirit to be made manifest in your life. In Luke 11, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For uh, for what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? you're here and you're just like, okay, that's great, but how do I actually move forward in this? You ask, and then you abide. You fill yourself with teaching, with scripture, with practice, with community that is pointing you towards the truths of a God who has sealed you with his promised Holy Spirit, who pushes you towards, hey, this is what you were meant to live into in your humanity. You abide in him, and it says he produces much fruit in us when we abide in him. The hard work of us is to abide. And as we abide, yes, then there is a grit to moving forward, but that grit is actually produced by his spirit within us. And then we empty ourselves. We continue to confess and repent of ways that we continue to quench the spirit within us. And as we confess, 1 John says that those, he who is confessing his sin, God is faithful and just to forgive that sin and then to cleanse you of it. That as we confess, as we repent, as we continually move forward again and again and again, the Holy Spirit of God has this long process. Sometimes a great breakthrough. Sometimes, man, you come, you're prayed for, and you're given freedom on the spot. But that's in one area of your life. And then in many other areas, you're continually coming to come, confess, repent, move forward practice, be taught, be in community, and hold on to his grace as he works and wills in you to full completion, full maturity in Christ. Let's pray and then we'll set up communion. Father God, I pray for you. Lord, what can we pray other than to ask for your Holy Spirit to be filled up for those who are the believers in this room? And for those who are not the Christians, not the believers in this room, we ask that your Holy Spirit would spread your gospel right now in our moment and that we might enter new brothers and sisters into our midst right now. Lord, you've said that whenever your word is preached, Lord, your spirit, your word is speaking it. So Lord, I pray that as your word has been read, as I've attempted to try to to preach upon it, Lord, that you would use that and you'd use the conversations of others and you'd use um, so many conversations that have happened to this point in people's lives for those who are not a part of the family of God, might receive your Holy Spirit right now. And then for those of us who are abiding in your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that as we abide, you would fill us and that would move us out into this world as those who are chosen and adopted and blessed and filled and drenched with your Spirit to be moved into maturity. And then, Lord, that would be a life-giving presence for the rest of this world. Lord, come and do that in individuals and in our community. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.